You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey, Bobby, you going ice climbing this winter? Well, all right. Why don't we tell them how to keep their toes warm up on those icicles? Yeah, swing them tools, baby. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but in the gym it's quite delightful. But you don't want to know, so ice climbing you will go. But the crummy boots you've chosen will keep your poor toes frozen. Pain builds character, you know, so ice climbing you will go. With sportive boots fit right, you love going out in the storm. Even when you grip too tight Up the icicle you'll be warm Under the boards the bros are spraying But indoors you'll not be staying Let Sportiva take care of your toes So ice climbing you can go Remember this winter, that frozen feet Losing your toenails and bashing your front points around like a drunken Cossack dancer is not just, quote, part of ice climbing. Do it better, warmer, and with pleasure in exceptional ice climbing and mountain boots from Sportiva. All right, Bobby, let's take him to the moon. Two, three. Instead of loudly whining or with the barfies, you start crying. Be a boss up on the flows With Sportiva around your toes Cha-cha Hey Bobby, why don't we slide on over to Sportiva.com or our favorite local shop and check out them boots. Yeah, hi Norma Nation, this is Jeff Bezos. Bezos? Yeah, <laughs> however you want to say it. Uh, you may have heard of a little company called Amazon.com. It, it, it's not actually little, it's, it's fucking humongous. But anyway, I'm kind of like your crack dealer for junk that you really don't need. <laughs> but even though I need a solid gold ankler for my second super yacht, I'm going to make a solid gold suggestion this holiday season and, and ask that you help me get on the good side of Chris at the EnormaCast by buying direct from the, the little guys that sponsor his enormously good podcast. <laughs> enormous. Get, get it? It's, it's in the name. Anyway, there's three small businesses that sponsor his show, and, and buying direct from them really makes a difference to their bottom line, as opposed to mine. I don't even know where that is, frankly. I mean, is it like when you only have one Lamborghini and not <laughs> seven? PeterWGilroy.com makes incredible hats, jewelry, and artistic accessories out of a place called New Mexico. I don't know where that is, but it sounds amazing. Uh, BelaySpecs.com is just a couple of, of people, humans, I think, uh, banging out those crazy glasses that save your neck. And BonfireCoffee.com roasts great coffee in a small shop out of Glenwood Springs, Colorado. Very resourceful. Extremely resourceful, these people. And, and they're all small, and, and they're all supporting climbers. And, and, and look, I know it's hard to quit me and my robot overlords. You know, I kind of <laughs> designed it that way. But, but click over to any of these small vendors and, and entry Normo or, or a Normacast at checkout. I can't remember which, but try them both. 
Anyway, you can get a discount, get a great gift for one of your friends, and maybe, just maybe, Chris will return one of my 40 emails I've sent him. Oh wait, hold on, let me press send. Okay, never mind, 41 emails. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, a big house. place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, so it out. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, La Sportiva, and with support from Maxim Ropes. Maxim has been keeping the normal cast off the deck since 2012. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enorma Cast. This is your host, Chris Calouse. It is December 16th, 2022, about 9 o'clock here in Colorado, and this is episode 254 of the Enorma Cast, of the Enorma Cast, blowing the levels with that, of the Enorma Cast, a conversation with Amity Warm. But, geez, stop doing that. But before we get to the interview, um, a little bit of business. First of all, happy birthday to me, us, the Royal We here at the Enorma Cast is uh, about 11, I think, 11 years old. 2011, I think December 11th or 12th, the first episode. And as long as I'm on the birthday vibe, I'm going to do a rare, almost unheard of live shout out to an EnormaCast listener, Mr. Sean Winter, Sean's brother, got in touch with me, said, hey man, he'd really love to hear from you. Also, I felt pity for Sean Winter because his birthday's on the 25th of December. And I know from, from friends who've had that birthday or nearby Christmas, you get hosed, you get screwed. You know, you might get an extra present, but you don't get twice the presents, which is really what you should do. If your parents are cool, they just move your birthday to somewhere in July, and you do it then. But I don't know if Sean's parents were cool or not. Anyway, happy birthday, Sean. Having a fun musical enormacast today. How about that bass line? 
in that thing. And thanks to one excited listener, I also brought back the uh, somewhat embarrassing Christmas Carol Sportiva commercial. That bridge is exceedingly hard to sing, especially for someone who's not a singer. And listen, if you're going to support Sportiva or Black Diamond for that matter, do it just because they let me get away with that shit. Who would do that? I mean, big companies, millions of dollars at stake. Okay, business number two. (laughs) Ha, get it? Anyway, the second part of the business is, (laughs) yeah, feeling a little frisky this morning, is that uh, my sponsor, our sponsor, uh, Black Diamond, is matching all donations to the Access Fund right now, up to $80,000. And uh, up until, I think, the 19th. I don't know why the 19th seems like they could have rounded up till to 20. But anyhow, um, so just a few more days. I'm a little late on this announcement. If you do get this in the next few days, you're an early bird, a NormaCast listener. Pop over there and renew or you know throw them a little extra cash and Black Diamond will match that. It's like giving them double, baby. So it's a good idea to do it now. Or, you know, a nice Christmas present. Get your lame climbing friend. I don't even know why you're friends with this person, but but if you are, get them a access fund membership and a t-shirt for Christmas. Or Hanukkah. Hanukkah starts on the 18th. I just looked it up. Your opening Hanukkah salvo could be a membership to the access fund for any of your Jewish friends. And by the way, I just looked up why Hanukkah moves around. It's because it's based on the Hebrew calendar. And the Hebrew calendar does not fit with the Gregorian calendar. The Gregorian calendar was imposed upon us by uh, one of the popes. So it's Catholic. The Hebrews were like, no, we're using ours. So anyway, that's why it moves. I didn't know that. Okay, on to Amity Warm. Have you heard of Amity Warm? If you've been paying attention to big wall climbing and hard trad climbing in the last couple of years, you probably have. She's burst onto the scene. I think with a ground up ascent of Golden Gate on El Cap, which totally captivated me. Her and Tyler Caro just left the ground and climbed the thing, which if you're not paying close attention to these big wall ascents, it's actually exceedingly rare to do that. Far more people would wrap down, work the pitches, do things like that before they ever left the ground, stash stuff. In our imagination, I think we kind of forget that. We think that people just rock up and put their bags on and start climbing. But yeah, it doesn't happen a lot. So I was like, wow. Plus, she's sort of a newcomer. And usually, I don't know, I think newcomers want to just get it done and, and, and do it the way that may be most convenient out of sort of fear, out of lack of confidence or whatever, but not Amity, not Tyler. They just did it. Since then, she's had a big run of of big wall climbing. She's basically been eating trad 513 for breakfast on a daily basis, just crushing this woman. So I wanted to find out what happened. She hasn't been climbing that long, and about two years ago, she just pressed the pedal to the metal and started sending, gosh, almost everything in sight. Hard trad at altitude, hard trad in the desert, hard trad wherever she encountered it. We're going to see a lot more from Amity. She's young. She's strong. You know, she can keep her body working. She's going to be one of the most exciting climbers to watch in the next few years. Brr. It's wintertime, buckaroos. 
as my daddy still says. It's colder than a well driller's took us out there. Which means them doggies are shivering and you got death metal blasting in the dark of the early morn because you're on your way to go ice climbing. Or maybe you're still standing in line at the local boulangerie in Uray, Colorado at 9 a.m. after a hot soak, anticipating your half-calf soy milk latte with one pump of vanilla. Thank you very much. Either way, you crazy sons of bitches are all fired up to jug haul up them icicles. And though in this cowpoke's opinion, they should be staging an intervention rather than stoking the addiction, Black Diamond is and has always been at the forefront of innovation when it comes to pure ice and mixed climbing. I mean, just look at the names of Black Diamond's ice tools for crying out loud. The Cobra, the Reactor, the Fuel, the Viper. How the hell are you not going to feel like a boss wielding two Vipers in your hands? Of course, it helps to forget that Vipers generally would stay away from ice or go dormant in those temperatures, as would Cobras. And if you did grab either of those snakes by the tail, you'd probably be dead within a couple hours, max. But try not to think about that while you're swinging your way up a glorious blue chunk of God's frozen creation. So once the natural euphoria of rewarming your hands begins to ebb, Head over to BlackDiamondEquipment.com or your favorite local shop and check out BD's ice tools, ice screws, apparel, and all the other accoutrement that goes with scraping up frozen rock and water. Because hell, aren't we really just here for the accoutrement? Um, a strong party that day. Yeah, some good climbers, yeah. That day that you guys all rolled up and what seven of you sent learning to fly five of you six what was it I think it? it was five yeah it was yeah. five people um i i made some comment on that where like it was a ba- basically the modern sense of like um the ability to climb steep and the ability to pull really hard where sort of either gym climbing or sport climbing or at least that mentality like applied to a crack really fits that climb it's so I think that applies to a lot of trad climbs now. I mean, people ask how I train for hard crack climbs and I train, you know, bouldering or sport climbing and like it's just about getting strong and then are you proficient enough in the techniques yeah. of crack climbing to not be super pumped. But Yeah, and it's honestly like fifteen years ago or whatever in the creek it I mean it was definitely still like this real separated thing. Yeah. You either were a track climber or you were a sport climber and there were there were people crossing over certainly and but it, uh, there was just this feel in indian creek that you had to be like you just had to be this monster crack climber and like not dabble in other things and and, right. and even the piece i wrote about it when i finally did do that climb it talked about that about how i I'd, I'd gone over to sport climbing and like my idea of what crack technique in the creek meant was like fully holding me back um, right. this idea of like bearing down with both feet in the crack and like super uh-huh. controlled and you know it was like why i couldn't do the climb and when i threw right. that out the window i was like oh now i can do the climb if i just like rip as hard as i can and paddle my feet and just like you know yeah i mean it's like <laughs> how many campus moves can you make right, right. yeah so it's not a yeah anyway but it was an awesome day and i was in in no i mean Again, the history of the route is I didn't do the first ascent of it, but but put the anchor on it and did. I think I did this my ascent like seven years later after. But it was definitely cool because in in a way that day like validated what I had found as well. I, it was kind of funny. I was like, well, there goes the reputation of that route. But um. <laughs> well, it's still it's still a five star line. And Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was a great contribution to the community. 
No, it it had been beat down and onsided. Yeah, there was other days where people just used it and threw it away. So um, <laughs> whatever. There's just too many strong people these days. Yeah, yeah, and you're one of them. But yeah, we've been trying to get this done for a year and a half. And uh, just before the mics went on, I was joking that um, when you did Golden Gate, um, it was kind of like the first time I'd ever like. I was like, who is this woman? Like, you know, not not that Golden Gate itself was as big a deal in my mind as it was the ground up ascent and sort of unheard of. And I was like, God damn, who is this? I like got to get her on before anybody else does. And I got in touch and you're like, yeah, that's cool. And I was like, well, you live in Colorado. So maybe we could do an old school face to face one. And you're like, okay. And then it was just like, no, I'm gone. No, I'm going to be gone. Nope. I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be gone that day too. So yeah. So anyway, so then, you know, you, you've, uh, you're no longer a, a un, unheard of person in climbing. Um, and here we are like a year and a half later. So what I'd like to do is give you the deep Oprah um, treatment here then where we were, you know, if I can get you to cry, we're, we're in the money. So, um, oh man. Yeah. All right. But you're one of the most make, moving targets I've ever, I've ever it. tried to do a face to face interview with. So um, really, that's so funny because I feel like I stay in one place for a long time most of the time really but maybe it's just not in colorado honestly like have you looked at your sort of (laughs) your schedule the last couple years (laughs) but like if you look at the mileage i put on our van versus like jordan cannon's van he's probably put on the miles in a year that we've put on in five years yeah but he's doing silly things like going to every (laughs) single aac event in the entire country yeah who does that yeah exactly so (laughs) (laughs) I kind of wanted to start with talking a little bit about gymnastics. I've been thinking about how to do this and, and what to talk about. And, and I just keep coming back to this 10 years of gymnastics, um, your entire sort of youth, it sounds like, because if you, if you stopped when you were a junior is what I read due to an injury. I mean, that was more than 50% of your life up to that. You were, you were in gymnastics. And yeah, yeah, it was like from 6 to 17, basically, that was my entire world yeah and and you know i remember even years and years and years ago i mean like decades ago this sort of talk amongst climbers if if like some gymnast you know watching a gymnast uh male or female do what they do you're like if they started climbing it would be you know it would be just amazing but in actual fact like i knew a lot of people who did and it it didn't really work out that way i don't know why especially with with men it didn't seem to kind of I don't know, maybe this, the brute strength was sort of like, didn't, didn't convert to the technique or, or maybe it was just that idea that, you know, something that someone like me hangs his hat on still, that technique, you know, still matters more than strength. Um, please make that be true uh, <laughs> for a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, looking back on it and maybe we'll talk a little bit about your life during, um, you know, what, what do you think? You did cross over to climbing from gymnastics, good things and, and maybe bad things as well. Yeah, from like years six to 17, gymnastics was my entire world. Like I would go to school from eight to three, and then I'd be at the gym from 3.15 to 8.15, and I'd come home and do homework and crawl in bed and get up and do it the next day. And I mean, that's a year-round sport, like you're at the gym. 30 plus hours a week, every week of the year. Some of the good things that came from that were this ability to work really hard for a goal, the work ethic of putting in hours and hours and hours, 
towards an objective. I think the strength does, like the upper body strength does cross over and definitely the like flexibility and body awareness crosses over. I mean, it's always easy to look back and be like, oh, if I'd just been on climbing team when I was a kid, my fingers would be stronger. And, you know, it's easier to look back and say, from where I'm at now, I wish I'd done something differently, maybe. But my parents had no idea that climbing was a sport or an activity or knew that it existed. So even though I grew up in Colorado, there was no awareness of rock climbing as an activity to do as a kid. So I was never, never in a climbing gym, like as a kid or anything. Well, there was no time. It sounds like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I did no, I have zero hand-eye like ball sport coordination because I never touched a ball as a child. <laughs> so Well, that's pretty common uh, among climbers. So I think you're okay. <laughs> um, to your point about the strength though, I mean, I think it is easy when you come in with that base of strength to not learn technique at first. So I got into climbing in college and I walked up to the rock climbing wall at the university rec center. And I was like, man, like this looks cool. I, uh, I want to climb that one. And I pointed this like five ten, and all the staff were kind of like, um, yeah, maybe like you could try an easier one. I was like, no, like I want to try this one. And I go on and I'm just like doing pull-ups up this thing and I get, you know, three quarters of the way up and, and I'm sending it. And someone was like, just smear your foot. I was like, I don't know what that means. And I just keep doing pull-ups up this. So (laughs) the strength is helpful, but eventually you do have to come around and learn the technique as well. So I guess those are kind of the good things that have come from gymnastics. I think the bad thing is that I already feel like I'm living in a grandma's body. My back always hurts and my knees hurt. My ankles are, I have to be careful with my ankles on landings. And, you know, I think there's a lot of bodily damage that comes from 11 years in gymnastics. That's like a little hard to reckon with, but I do think there is also a lot of good that came out of it. Well, yeah, I mean, the first thing I was thinking about when, you know, it's sort of like, just gaming that is, you know, this this idea that working hard for a goal, pushing your body. I mean, certainly training, that kind of training from any athletics crosses over. And I've heard that before on the show, you know, this idea that, well, I mean, even, you know, you mentioned Jordan earlier in the show already, you know, and he had this athletic background that, that he's kind of run away from to a certain extent. But, you know, I'm sure it's helped him and he's talked about how it's helped him a regimen, you know, of, of training. Right. Someone like myself who avoided sport, you know, for various reasons as a kid, you know, I don't, I don't really necessarily have that. And, and for me, exercising to exercise, um, or training to train is like so foreign. It's really hard to get me to do it. And luckily I just set up a lifestyle where I could climb all the time. And I was the climb all the time training guy, you know, but the other thing I was thinking about too, is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of been vocally sort of, I don't know, skeptical of that life for a kid. I think on this show and maybe on the run out too, talked a little bit about like my worries for, you know, if you were six years old and put into the same climbing program, um, at the same level, which, which I think a lot of, of kids are, are doing, I, I sort of have this worry about it as partially as a kind of a soul climber, a guy who, you know, loves climbing for climbing and, 
and also just what you just said about, um, you know, pushing your body that hard when you're that little and what comes with it. And I know, you know, I, I know that you, or I read that you, you know, give your gym props for like proper eating and, you know, encouraging that, but certainly there's that danger and that's pretty rife in gymnastics or any kid sport. Um, right. you know, and yeah. there's so many parallels to climbing. I mean, do you, do you ever think about that and, and think about your life as a, you know, this devoted kid to this one sport, maybe missing out on other things and, and looking at, I mean, specifically, you know, since you're a woman, um, looking at little girls that are getting into this at this level um, as climbers. Yes and no. I think I think there's value in learning how to commit to something that fully. I think there's so many distractions in our society today. It's easy to, you know, bounce from one thing to the next and never really invest yourself in one thing to that degree. So I think there is value in learning how to like really commit to one thing and kind of pour, pour yourself and your effort into that Mm -hmm. as long as that is, you know, going towards a positive end and not physically or mentally detrimental to the child. But there are a lot of things you miss as a kid. You know, I never went to school football games or dances or any of that kind of thing, or yeah, played any other sport. So there is a lot that you miss out on. And I think it's hard to have the perspective as a 12 year old, you know, (laughs) that you are missing out on those things. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to have that perspective growing up in it. And you're so immersed in it that you don't realize really what you are missing on the outside. So yeah, I think there's, there's two sides to it. There's good and bad. You know, you mentioned like working towards the goal. Um, what was the goal? Like as a gymnast, uh, was is it like very um, at the level you were at? Is it like super Olympics fo- focused? I was definitely never like going to the Olympics. I was never on that level. But I mean, that's five girls every four years out of the entire sure. U.S. So I was never at that point. But every competition season, every year, you were you're trying to make regionals and nationals and do as well as you could at those big competitions. And then, I mean, for me, the, I would have been able to do, like, college gymnastics. But I think that's a good question. You know, like, <laughs> it's still it's still a sport where you, you peak at 16, maybe 18, and then you're done for the rest of your life. Like, climbing something you can continue doing until you're old. And gymnastics is like, you're done by the time you're out of your teens. So... Again, it's hard to have that perspective as a, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old. But now looking back on it, it's like, man, that is, that is crazy. Like, what, what was I thinking? <laughs> well, it's not <laughs> unparalleled in climbing. I mean, it's a good question in climbing. Like, you know, what is the ultimate goal? Because, yeah, you can climb your whole life, but, you know, you're at, you're churning through this performance thing where you're trying to, you know, get bigger goals and, and set harder goals. And, and, you know, and we joke with sort of a smile on our faces about how like you finish one and you're already 
thinking about the next and and it becomes right. like a conveyor belt so it's not a it's not like i'm specifically picking on gymnastics it's certainly like a problem right. in climbing too like what is the point like where am i going like how am i like when will i be there kind of a thing so i don't think we're going to answer that on this podcast yeah, come but on. that's the point um i thought you would have the answer finally after 250 some episodes i i don't know i think it's Everyone needs a purpose, right? Yeah. <laughs> and climbing, I think, can play some small purpose for a lot of people. And it gives you a lot of, it does give you something that you're working towards, whether it means anything or not, um, in the grander scheme of things. Yeah. No. But it's also a lot of fun. And I think it gives you a lot of good community. And um, but right. No, you, I'm not putting you on the spot. You're like, how am I supposed <laughs> to answer this? Don't. <laughs> We'll, we'll come back to that one. Um, I got a couple more questions. So what happened? I mean, you, you were a junior. You broke your back, uh, it sounds like. Was it practice? Was it a competition? Um, what led up to that? Uh, I was two stress fractures in my lower back. Uh, just, I mean, from years and years and years of repetitive bending and twisting and using it too much, probably. That's not an uncommon injury in gymnastics, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So it was two stress fractures. It was right in the middle of a competition season. So I was out for the rest of that season, which was a little unfortunate. I was kind of on the up and up at that point, which was exciting. But then, yeah, totally derailed by the injury. It's really disorienting. You know, you spend your entire life doing something and all of a sudden, kind of without warning, that's stripped away from you. And I had no idea who I was without gymnastics. You know, it's like this really disorienting phase of, wow, I don't know what to do with five extra hours every day. Like, (laughs) um, so it took a long time. I mean, it was months of not really doing anything and then really slow rehab, which was pretty brutal for me. As you probably have gathered, I really like to move and be, be in action. And then Kind of once it was all said and done and I was mostly recovered, um, I was finishing up senior year of high school and looking at college and needed another outlet for like both physical and mm-hmm. mental energy, um, like something to invest my time in that I really cared about. And yeah, happened to stumble into rock climbing. Wait, did you rage as a senior then? Did you just like <laughs> no. go like, woo, like... <laughs> Give me all the drugs. Way, Give me all way, the things. Zero percent. Oh, really? Way too much. Way too much of a goody two shoes. Yeah, no, zero percent. Oh, bummer. I wanted that to be the narrative. You were just like, holy shit, I could do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, no. I not only did my um, childhood not involve any like any awareness of outdoor sports, it also involved zero awareness of like. A normal teenage life so <laughs> yeah no i was i was a pretty sheltered youth okay <laughs> well sometimes that's what happens like the dam breaks you know <laughs> but yeah uh, yeah good thing it, not in my case okay cool you're like what are these other humans here they're people call them boys <laughs> <laughs> that yeah that was that was a, th- a learning experience but uh, that's mm-hmm. awesome. I mean, you know, it sounds like you got through it, but it's again, it's another parallel because this is something that happens to, um, you know, it happens to climbers who are, you know, as obsessed or more obsessed with their sport and then something happens to them and it gets taken away. You know, we can, we don't need to 
go down that road, but we can cite examples of, of people I'm sure we both know um, that have right. gone through this. So it's, it's an interesting, you know, thing to kind of have almost like trained yourself as, or, or you've had this period of, of sort of reevaluating yourself from a pretty fundamental level. Um, you know, was it dark or was it just, uh, you know, were you just bored? Probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I, I pretty quickly got into coaching some of the younger kids at the gym through senior year of high school, which I think was important because, you know, you spend so much time in that place with those people. You really have no other support system, you know, like your coaches and team are really your only support system. So I think it was, it was helpful to be back in there. I mean, it's hard to see, it's hard to be there and not be a part of it, but it was helpful to still be around kind of the positive influences in that arena. Yeah. I don't know. I I guess what was the rest of that question? Just, yeah. Just uh, what your, your sort of mental state was like during that, that transition period or that time. It's kind of hard to remember, to be honest. Yeah. Which probably isn't a good thing. It probably means I didn't process it very well, but (laughs) well, yeah, it's a little hard to remember. That feeds into this sort of image I have in my head of, of the first time you climbed that if we had had like a cat stick scan on you, that entire part of your brain that had been devoted to gymnastics had like gone a little bit dark and all of a sudden it like fired up again. It like, like, yeah. yeah. So it's like, it, it just flushed all that shit out and was like, oh no, we're back. We're back. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and on, I honestly, think... that I had that image in my head leading up to this interview of like, well, because I just read about you finding climbing. I'm like, yep. And then yeah. she just like turned it back on again. <laughs> probably, yeah. Um, but I think to your point, it is, you know, it's just an example of why it's important to have other interests that you're also passionate about outside of something so dependent on your physical body. Like I'm, I'm going into nutrition and I'm really interested about with that. And I think it's helpful to have other, other things outside of just the sport. Cool. Well, let me ask you then, um, a little bit more about, this climbing transition because one of the things and I kind of want to get to it's all previewed is like when you I I wrote in an email to you like when you put the hammer down like there 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 just seems to have been a moment and we'll lead up to it I don't need you to ask this right now or answer this right now of of every every climber who kind of makes a name for themselves or goes on to do you know things that they never dreamed of maybe making the name isn't the important part um, at some point they make a decision to like, you know, go from bumbling around on that five ten with no footwork, uh, to being, you know, an accomplished climber. So just, you know, fill us in a little bit on the, on the transition to becoming a climber. And then we'll talk a little bit about maybe that arc to, um, you know, and I, I, I that phrase for you put the hammer down just for me seems to fit is what I know about your, your climbing career. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you found it at college. Yeah. So I got into it in college. I worked at the university rock wall. I guess I did the like college climbing team competition. There's like a couple of competitions every year for college climbing team, um, which was fun, but nothing serious. So I climbed pretty recreationally through college. And then, I mean, I immediately took to it, but I really had no idea it was something you could pursue at such a complex level or like be a full-time athlete. Like I had no concept of that. It was just a fun thing to go do after class or whatever. So continued with school, 
finished undergrad, you know, I was kind of more in that like typical American track at this point of like, I'm going to go to school and get a degree and get a job. And, you know, there was no sense of this, like living a climbing dirtbag life. I had no idea that was a thing. So finished school. Uh, I'd met Connor, who's my husband during this time. And he, he's actually the one that, you know, taught me a lot about climbing and took me climbing outside for the first time and really kind of opened my world to it to some degree. Then so asking, grad- so asking a girl on a climbing date does work sometimes. Oh, it worked for yeah. me. <laughs> I, yeah, that was. Like, I wasn't so sure about dating anyone, but I knew that he could take me rock climbing. Right. So <laughs> we say it was love at first sight with the climbing. Right. <laughs> Eventually, I came around to Connor as well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. I just wanted to put a point on that because it's you know an oft talked about thing on the normal cast, the, the date that's not a date that's actually maybe a date. I'm not endorsing it for every okay, every girl, right, right. but it works. That's for That's worth a try. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we both graduated. We got married. I actually had like multiple foot surgeries to correct an issue from gymnastics from years past. We were in this kind of weird life phase. We moved up to New Jersey where Connor was going to grad school for like three years. I was having multiple foot surgeries. There's a lot of like big life events, no real direction. Neither of us really knew what we wanted to do. And so, I mean, kind of continued climbing through that time in New Jersey, but definitely nothing serious. Like, I guess by the end of that time in New Jersey... Neither of us were really doing that well mentally and yeah, had no idea what we wanted to do with our lives, I guess. So there wasn't really a focus at that point on like performance Mm. in climbing. Um, But at the end of that time, we kind of knew we needed to make some changes to steer our lives in, you know, more positive, fulfilling direction. And that's when we bought a van, built it out and traveled for like nine months around to climbing destinations and that was maybe like nine months in the van of traveling before I decided to go back to school for nutrition and this is like four almost five years ago now Mm -hmm. so yeah building the van and all that was like that was when I climbed like my first 513 like prior to that you know I that was still like a totally out of reach out of my league object or goal was 513. So this is to put that in context of timeline. Mm-hmm. Well, let, well so let, I, let me back up here real quick. Um, yeah. First of all, I think this may be the first time New Jersey has ever been mentioned on this podcast. Um, so, <laughs> For good reason. Yeah, so it's definitely not the like, <laughs> Hopefully the, last. the thing that people think about, unless it was somebody else that was like, I grew up in New Jersey and I had to get the fuck out. But uh-huh. um, it's not like a climbing destination by any means. Nope. So um, it's an interesting, I mean, it wasn't obviously a choice choice if he was going to grad school. But, yeah, you know, when you were yeah. kind of like, oh, yeah, it was, we, we were not like psyched. We were, I mean, was this a, something you were discussing pretty openly or was it one of these things where you were kind of just moping around and and wondering and i mean what did that conversation look like when yeah maybe both of you were like we need a change but who's gonna like bring it up initiate yeah, yeah. we we were both in like a pretty dark place i think mm-hmm. um yeah connor was going to grad school for religion which we've 
we both kind of grew up in religion and have since left that path. So that time in New Jersey was really, uh, that was part of the process of like, you know, kind of turning away from the religion that we'd been brought up in. And again, another like really disorienting phase where kind of something that has been a part of your life since you can remember is no longer stable. And then, yeah, plus like having a couple foot surgeries and we just got married and moved and like, it was just so many big life events that neither of us really knew how to deal with it very well. I don't think, but Connor was the one going to school and he's very much like once he commits to something, he's going to see it through. Mm -hmm. It was just like, you put your head down, you get it done. And looking back now, it's, it's really easy to kind of be like, man, why did we not stop doing that after the first like six months? You know, why did we do that for another two and a half years? Um, wow. It was that long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. It's, yeah. It's kind of easy to look back now and be like, man, I, we feel like we kind of wasted like two and a half years just grinding it out, doing something that neither of us were happy with. Um, okay. So I'll yeah. let you off the hook here. I, don't need to, I mean, this is like, I want to ask more. I want to go deeper, but maybe not appropriate place. Um, this is not like a, a couple show, but it sounds like it was rough. And, um, you know, you guys probably, yeah, it was probably a dark place for both of you separately. Um, what, what, yeah, it was what, like we're each yeah. dealing separately yeah. with a lot of issues, mm -hmm. like together, like as a relationship, we were fine, mm -hmm. but like just both of us were trying to deal with so many other things going on that you know eventually by the end of it it's like okay like we we need to make can a you, radical can you, change can you remember the the moment that that gate opened to let's get out of here let's build a van i mean you were probably paying attention to cli the climbing world you know um to some degree yeah but so you had this notion somewhere that like you could do this you could this is something people do because in climbing it feels like especially in the last couple of years with the pandemic, like the idea of moving into a van is like this ubiquitous thing. Like we, yeah, right. of course, but to cross over to that or to find it if, is to, to see it as a possibility for a, a person who, like you said, is on this path of like, well, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to like settle down right. and buy a house. Especially blah, in New blah, blah. Jersey. Like yeah. no one in New Jersey lives in a van. Yeah. Like <laughs> well, it's not Moab. <laughs> no, no one like does it by choice anyway. But, right. um, <laughs> Yeah. So what was that gate? I mean, where was, do you remember that sort of like whose idea it was and how it was broached and where you guys made the move? Honestly, I don't remember a specific conversation. I think we just, we both knew we needed to make a pretty radical change from the path we were on. And it was more so the idea of like committing more to the adventure life than necessarily like van life itself. Like we, we knew we found joy in being outside and kind of this like physical expression and climbing. But I don't remember a specific conversation of like, right. This is what we're doing. Yeah. I'm yeah. just curious how, you know, I'm always curious of how like these notions get through to the people for whom they like, they become the jumper cables, you know, that, uh -huh. that spark them open. And, and, you know, in the old, a lot of conversations is how people found climbing. That's a lot easier these days. Um, right. but now this whole van life thing is sort of the next step, but, um, I'm, I'm curious too, like if you can, you know, once you guys committed to this idea and you got this van and you build it out, tell me about your feelings, like leading up to that, you know, was there still trepidation about like, 
we're going to a you know blow our lives up b maybe disappoint our families you know especially if the religion was going out the window too that's probably not right. an easy thing to do with yeah yeah that was a big yeah contention so, point so like was it like oh my god we're doing this this is going to be amazing or oh my god are we making this huge mistake and, and the re- of, and the reason yeah, i asked this is because a lot of people out there listening and or contact me too about like well how do people just do this like how do you uh-huh. disappear or you know it seems overwhelming to a lot of folks where while, right. like I said, from the already done it and climbing perspective, we're like, yeah, you just, you know, you just throw your shit in a van. Like it's no big deal, <laughs> but it is a big deal. You know, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a little bit of both some trepidation, but also excitement around it. I, I'm always up for an adventure. Like I always have been kind of willing to jump in and maybe bite off more than I can chew and, go on an adventure and quest into the unknown. Like I've always been pretty willing to do that. So I was probably more excited. Connor was like probably knowing it was going to be a good thing, but a little more trepidatious. Mm -hmm. We were probably balancing each other out on that. Yeah, it was was definitely a foreign thing. Like I don't think we knew anyone living in a vehicle at that point, but I guess it probably seen... Hashtag van life on Instagram. Yeah, that's what I actually was going to ask you. That was it like a a TikTok video that you'd been like, oh my god, that's it. <laughs> I honestly, I don't remember yeah, like cool. what where what sparked the initial idea. Right. But all right, let's go back to the climbing. Tell me about that nine months. Like, where'd you go? What'd you do? What were your revela- uh, What were your revelations? Well, at first, it took us like five months to build the van. Like both of us working on it pretty much full time to build the van. Partly because Connor's like an uber perfectionist, and which I'm really grateful for now because our van is really, really nice and <laughs> things don't break. So that's awesome. But it did, it took us a long time. So that was quite a process. And then uh, we went to the Red for like five weeks maybe. And I think I went from climbing like, like struggling on a 12B to sending like 13C by the end of our time there. So it was definitely a step up in the climbing progression. And then went out to Smith Rock for a few weeks. And then I think we went to Maple Canyon in Utah. And then Rifle for a while. And then I started back to school for nutrition. Right on. So, so the, yeah. yeah, so the, the sport climbing and um, and did, did you get any surprises coming from the red to... Um to bend to smith rock oh yeah yeah i mean it's like a total recalibration (laughs) of like what footwork means but that's how i feel going to any new place still you know every time i go back to the creek is like a total recalibration of how to use your body you know that sounds like you were you were um going from having been a gym climber to and a little bit outdoor climbing in Texas, and I don't know if you went anywhere in New Jersey, but um, are there cr- any crags in New Jersey? The New Jersey the people are like, I'm fucking writing him a letter because there's this awesome cliff down the road for me. <laughs> there's not. Okay. The gunks are like, we're like two and a half hours away from the gunks, so okay. we went up there. Right. So. Okay. So you were yeah. trad climbing up there. A little bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not like pushing anything, but... But yeah, plug-in cams. Yeah, and it's funny because, I mean, I know people that know you from Rifle, and, and but you're really not well-known for sport climbing. That's not like the thing that's burst us onto the scene. So let's talk about that, you know, maybe the transition, if there was one, to 
being someone who's like this other form of climbing seems to be something that I would be, um, I'm, I'm going to transition into, or I'm interested in. So let's talk a little bit about that then. I guess what eased my transition was that Connor grew up climbing like his whole life oh, okay. with his dad. Um, his dad's like old school trad dad. Um, so Connor always had, you know, the full rack of cams and everything. So that was, it wasn't like this huge barrier to starting trad climbing, mm-hmm. like transitioning from sport to trad. It was like, you know, when we were going out on weekends in college in Texas, I was learning how to trad climb on like five, six or whatever. So it never felt like this huge barrier to jump between sport and trad. Like there's been a jump, I think recently and really pushing myself on hard trad. Um, but as far as the basics of it, the, the groundwork was there from the start. Right. And what were some of your first, uh, sort of big milestones as far as that, as that type of climbing, either big routes or, or just anything moving away from, um, sport climbing trips. When I went back to school in Colorado Springs for nutrition, we climbed a bunch of turkey rocks and definitely, yeah, I was doing a bunch of trad out there. I guess we would go to the creek fairly often on like longer breaks from Colorado Springs. So yeah, kind of just working up through the grades at the creek. And then after COVID, once things started to open back up again, we went out to the Finns for a little while and I climbed Enter the Dragon, which is Jonathan Segrist did it, like originally rated at 14A. I think everyone subsequently has settled in around like 13 plus, but that was kind of the first like hard trad headpoint climb that I did. Yeah, that was probably the first like major milestone. Where did you sort of pull that from? I I always have this question on here about fear um about you know climbing on gear whether or not that felt supernatural to you um actually supernatural sounds different whether that felt natural to you and and um this you know if this was kind of a a head point type route implies that there's some runouts and and stuff like that like when you started digging into that part of you um you know were you like confident from the get-go were you surprised to find yourself a person that was, you know, willing to get out on that kind of sharp end? Like, where did that come from? I was definitely surprised. <clears throat> it's still, I think I've put a lot of time into kind of growing that confidence. I mean, I had done a lot of mileage on like 5'9 to 5'11, 5'12, trad climbing. Like, I'd done a lot of mileage on that, and I, I knew how to place cams and, like, be comfortable with that. I guess prior to that, I'd spent quite some time up in – the North Cascades and I'd done like I'd done Liberty crack free on Liberty Bell, which was like a 13 B line up there. So I, I think I'd been laying the groundwork for hard trad along the way, just never realized I had this intention, you know, of continuing to push it as much as I have. Like that was never in my mind. It was just, this is something I enjoy and it's fun to, challenge myself more and more. And I don't know, I love the mental aspect of it. So where did this, um, uh, you know, and I don't know what your sort of strict ethics are. It's, it seems to be a bit of a byproduct of the way you think versus some big ethical stance, you know, even looking at, uh, Brent Spargon's, you know, article about your, your first ascent on the free rider. Like he, 
he posited this kind of stylistic, you know, new stylistic idea. And I've seen some words in, in some of your posts about that as well, but you don't seem to be quite as strident about about making these sort of statements about it. But <clears throat> nevertheless, I mean, you, you've brought in this ground up ethic to a lot of your climbing, which, you know, is interesting when I talk to someone who's a modern climber, um, someone who came up, you know, starting in the gym and, and hasn't even really been climbing that long, which is part of what's impressive about your resume the last couple of years. You know, where do they come across these these ideas that you know, we've been debating and climbing forever. And, and why did you, why do you incorporate the parts of it that you do into your style from sort of a personal level? Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting question. Like you said, I really didn't know much about the history of climbing or have this strong sense of ethics around going ground up, I guess, particularly in talking about like that first kind of big season I had in Yosemite, like spring 2021, when I did the Golden Gate ascent that you're talking about, I, got, I really didn't have that like sense of ethics and history instilled in me just because I, you know, I hadn't been around climbing that long. I just didn't know that much. I think it just so happened that both of the routes I climbed on El Cap that season were ground up. It wasn't necessarily like you're saying, because I had this really staunch ethic in me, but I found that I really relished that adventure and having to figure things out as you go. I think the ground up thing is the whole ethics question is it's a personal question. Like mm -hmm. when you walk up to El Cap or any wall that is inspiring to you, I think you, you just ask yourself like what feels like the right level of challenge for you. And that depends on your individual ability and your partner situation and your time frame and weather window. And like I've embraced a ground up style for the routes that I've done on El Cap this far, but I'm also acutely aware of my limitations and that at some point I'll hit a ceiling for that style and I'll have to employ a different approach. Like I'll have to work pitches from the top or whatever. Like one thing I appreciate about Brent Barkons, who you're talking about, his, his style is the affect minimal parties ethic. And there's so many people in climbing now and so many people climbing hard routes that you just have to be more aware of people outside of yourself and not just not just focus on what's good for you but like aware of what else is going on around you so trying to avoid having a negative impact on other people's experiences i think is important but i think in regard to ethics like i guess i hold myself to a pretty high standard of I don't like doing stances on pitches like I want to send the whole pitch even if that is like a silly thing because it's all arbitrary anyway but like to me that's important and I don't know I guess like I hold myself to a really strong ethic the way that I approach things but in general I think my biggest request is just that people are honest when telling their story you know say what you did explain the style you did it in and why you made the choices you did. And I think if you're honestly recounting the story, that's like one of the biggest style points to me. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's one of the things again, when, when you first did the Golden Gate thing. And uh, even then I realized, well, it's, you know, partially, yeah, it's just kind of logistics and you decide that logistically this fits. And, um, right. well, in, you know, <clears throat> I've talked about it too much, but, um, you know, I climbed Golden Gate with no intention. I mean, I guess there was intention, but 
no realistic idea of free climbing it. And and the funny thing was is we did it ground up because we had I had literally ten days in the valley and like you know with setting it up and getting on there and everything else there was going to be no other way to do it. Right. Um, yeah. Although although that's not entirely like the only reason, but but it's funny because people later commented on like you did it just ground up you'd never been on it before or whatever and like i it, everybody was like yeah that nobody ever does that anymore so when you did it and again someone who's who's rolling into the valley it was sort of your first big season there you know it's it's much easier just to be like okay how does everyone do these things that's right. what i'm gonna do um, yeah so that, and i had no idea how people did those things right like so, honestly that's a credit to <laughs> tyler who i climbed golden gate with right. like that was his vision of like hey i think we should go try and free the golden gate ground up like are you in for the adventure and again like yeah of course i'm i was super intimidated like that felt so out of my league but i was willing to go try and mm-hmm. i think that that's important that well it also try. was successful um right and so may, maybe that like threw some some fuel on this fire to keep trying to do right. it in, the, in that style yeah absolutely i think i mean i think it's a really fun style to try. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think one of the things I appreciate about climbing is the mental aspect of it and like the cerebralness that's involved. And I think going ground up on a big objective is like really requires that mental fortitude. So well, it's, it's fun. super scary. Yeah. Like it's no super scary. Coming. That's the th- <laughs> I mean, again, we're, I'm sort of belaboring this ground up thing, but it, it's so different. And, and it does, it doesn't bother me like other people do it in different ways. What bothers me is it all gets lumped together that they climbed the golden gate and so did these people. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's a, it's like such a different thing to just step off the ground and go up into this unknown territory knowing this because I was, I mean, there were parts of, of that route. I was terrified and, and hearing other people talk about it in these pedestrian ways, I'm just like, yeah, I know, but you don't know the difference of like sitting below those pitches and not knowing. Well, and just the extra margin that you have to have to not have a pitch, like every crux pitch wired, you know, like you have to have such a higher uh, ability margin to be able to do that, which is why I know there's going to be routes that I can't do in that style. But yeah, eventually, I mean, but nobody knows. I don't think, you know, right <laughs> i'll just keep going I mean, i'm looking it. at what you've done in, in this short amount of time i don't think you know yet so i'm calling you out on that one um <laughs> that's fair <laughs> but i mean i guess that's the ethics thing and i and and, and you're you're saying you kind of have this uh you know way you like to do things you're not super staunch about it but i mean would would there be a point where you're like well i guess i just i, mean, I am gonna not do this because i can't do it the way i want to do it I don't know. I think... Uh, yeah, don't say anything good... concrete here because somebody yeah, will call good... you out later. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> Wait a second. You said you'd never do that. I said I'd never do that. Um, I mean, there's a lot of routes that I want to do that. I like really question my ability to do ground up the nose, for example. Like, I don't think that's something I could go ground up on, but it would be a really cool accomplishment someday in my climbing career. So, I, I don't know. I think it's in some ways it's just continuing to work toward those things and Mm -hmm. like allow myself the freedom of thought to like think about what is possible. And maybe, I don't know, like I want to progress enough in my climbing career 
that I know, I really know whether or not something like that is possible for me in, you know, maybe a ground up style or not. Like I want to make that decision from a really educated standpoint. And if, you know, a few years down the road, it's like, no, like this is something I just need to go tackle and I'm, you know, I'm going to have to compromise yeah. whatever style. That's fine. But without, again, I without think without me just, on your shoulder going like, what are you doing? <laughs> Amity? You, you, you're, you're breaking, you're giving up your ethics. Like, yeah, just I be able to again, make the, the choice on your thing. own. <laughs> yeah. And then just being honest about it, you know, yeah. like I'm not going to post on Instagram saying, you know, like in any way being vague about what style I did something in like, that's, that's important to me is, Regardless of how you do it, just be straight up. Well, it's interesting you say that because, as I pointed out with with Brent's article, um, in, it was in Climbing Magazine, RIP, about you know the the very detailed ins and outs of you guys' ascent, um, right? Without stashing water, you know, and he proposed this like self supported thing, and it was very <laughs> in the weeds, like to the point of like I uh-huh. had to go back and reread. <laughs> parts of it to be like okay now what did they do and not do but then you followed it up um on your corazon post about you know having stashed water as well and you had your reasoning behind it but honestly i've never really seen in modern times anybody point those things out so i mean you guys are are definitely on this mission to like strip it completely bare the fact that you had stashed water on tower to the people um was a point that i don't think anybody's ever like made or like, and probably no one cares. And there's yeah. al- almost always water stashed on Tower to the People yeah, anyway. Yeah, do you want to drink it? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> How long has it been in there? And yeah. That you formerly know, a pee bottle. I don't know. Um, <laughs> right. And, yeah. you know, I mean, that was a concession I made because I'd climbed all those pitches above Tower mm-hmm. to the People, ground up on Golden Gate the year before. And right. it felt like I wasn't ruining any sense of adventure to put water up there for our El Corazon ascent. And it meant not hauling as heavy of a haul bag directly over heart ledges with a bunch of loose blocks. Like, right. I don't. That just felt like a smart decision for everyone involved. I guess. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I like, I like what, what we, what we're hashing out here is, you know, yeah. again, a, a personal idea of challenge, um, not rooted in any sort of like staunch ethics that that you're you're never going to cross a line, but. You know, right. when I mentioned, you mentioned doing the nose and whether it was ground up or not, you know, it's like there are, there are versions that aren't ground up, but also don't, you know, leave fixed lines all over it, which I think is exactly. something that sounds like, you know, would be something that you would really have a hard time doing. Because yeah. Affect- again, that goes back to Brent's like effect minimal parties ethic. Mm-hmm. Like I'm never going to leave fixed lines on the nose because there's however many aid parties going up at every single day. And like, I'm not going to like i don't value my experience so much so that i'm going to impact someone else's mm-hmm. experience like that i don't think that highly of myself i guess um yeah no yeah. i mean i, I like it i think it's a it's a really modern ethic actually that's you know it's crept up on us to where it used to be that these free climbs were so infrequently done it didn't really matter and you knew the people because it was sort of this elite group Right. Um, and it's sort of crept up on us that that is not necessarily the case anymore. And I right. think people still think they're going to go to the valley during the season and be the only people on trying to free the free rider, but right. it's no longer the case. Yeah, no, yeah. no. It's And so, yeah, I, I, and, and maybe some of these other routes aren't there yet. You know, the free rider is obviously the one that gets 
the most hammered, but then you've got all the eight climbers on the nose. So you have to think about it. And I think there's always been this, not always, but yeah, actually always been this attitude like, well, I am the elite climber here because I'm going to free this climb and therefore, you know, eat shit. I'm, I'm like more important than you are. I, I mean, that's definitely pervaded climbing and I'm glad that we're at least talking about that attitude being inappropriate. Yeah, point. I feel like I just don't value myself that highly enough to be able to say that my experience is more important than someone else's. But a funny story about the free rider and a day thing with Brent. So obviously that was super important to him. like that was totally his vision. It was super important to him to not stash anything, to not go up and rehearse anything. I mean, we'd both done it wall style previously, so we'd been on it before, but I hadn't been on it in over a year. And so not going up to rehearse any of the pitches, not having any like outside support, aside from just the two of us walking up to the wall together and carrying everything we needed. But anyway, we're up there and on the enduro corners, I guess. And we're both just like cramping up. Like you're you're, like having a hard time triggering cams. Like you're just cramping so badly, probably because we were dehydrated. Uh, and really cold is actually like quite cold when we were doing it. And I think we were so calorie deficient by that point that you just like couldn't deal with the cold. Um, but anyway, we're up there and we get through the enduro corners and there's someone up on a fixed line working the South Bay head wall that I knew actually. And, you know, we're shouting back and forth at each other and Brent goes to do the round table traverse and, I know like how important this style and this goal is to him. And he is on the round table traverse, just like cruxing out, just cramping up. Like you're so fatigued at that point. And he's just cruxing out. And my friend who is up on the South, they head wall shouts down. He's like, do you guys want me to leave water on uh, the Scotty Burke ledge? And I like take a second to think like, yes, I want that so badly. (laughs) And on the other hand, I know how much this means to Brett. And I shout back up and I'm like, no, we're okay. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of knew that's where this story was going. (laughs) I figured it was like going to be like a person sitting there at the belay with you, just like guzzling water, water. (laughs) guzzling water, like it's running down his chin. And on his shirt, you're just like just dumping it on the ground. <laughs> yeah, oh, we're 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 heavy. We got we're going to the top today, just like pouring water out as it runs yeah, down yeah. next to you. <laughs> <laughs> but we stayed committed. We stayed true. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating thing because, yeah, I mean, those those walls are so big and intimidating, even to even to really great climbers. And you you know you meet you meet this threshold for sure. And it's like, it's kind of Brent's thing, right? That's what he likes to do. He, he likes to meet this threshold and then just keep on, keep on it's going. It's awesome. But, it's so inspiring. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but to a certain extent, isn't that your style as well? At least with your climbing? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know? I, yeah. I love like squeezing every ounce of energy that I have. Like I, I love that. You know, I live for that. Yeah. That's, that's totally awesome. I mean, you know, it's, it's, again, it's like a hallmark of, of watching you climb of like watching your, your sort of, again, it's, it's this last two years and you, you kind of put a point on that, like post pandemic, um, yeah. seems to be like, like I said, when the accelerator hit the floor and, but you did run into a problem with an injury, 
um, with your shoulder. And then I also kind of wanted to ask you if, if you mentioned just residual destruction and aches and pains from, from gymnastics, but what about specifically that back injury? Um, I mean, does that, do you feel like that's, uh, you feel it in your climbing and, and hold you back in any way? I don't know if it holds me back necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, we never know that, I guess, but I mean, it hurts every day. I hate long car rides because I hate sitting because my back gets stiff. Anything really like twisty and intensive on the back and core, I mean, I'll feel it the next several days. Um, so it's definitely still there. I'm aware of it um, pretty much every day, but you learn how to manage it. And I think it would be worse if I didn't climb and if I wasn't active. So I don't know. It's a trade-off I'm willing to make, just kind of managing it day by day. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly the case with me. I, I have lower back issues, and if I don't climb, it's worse, 100%, uh-huh. yeah, um, if I'm sitting around too much or whatever, sedentary. Um, right. But, I mean, you know, that was certainly a use injury, uh, you know, a, after years of, of pushing yourself hard. And, and that's, again, a part of the narrative around you is, you know, you and uh, and Steven at the Nugget had a good laugh about night, you know, night rest versus day resting or whatever. <laughs> like, in, you know, rest and nights. then Brent mentioned it talking about the the um, free rider in a day, the free ad. Is that what that's called now? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That like he's all stressing out and trying to get some sleep and like resting, <laughs> and you're like up on, you know, doing photos and repeating hard pitches and. You know, doesn't, you know, I mean, it kind of wants me to say, like, didn't you learn anything when you broke your back? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, do you have an alarm? Do you have a threshold where you're like, I, you know, I could be sort of like, you know, uh, endangering my future self if I don't, you know, you're, you, let me say this, like, you're, you know, you're in this scientific field of nutrition, like, where small things matter and like, right. you know, long-term health matters to, to your nutrition, you know, all these things, like, right. how do you bring that into whether you're willingly or have to mentally like work on putting the brakes on once in a while? You know, I think it's probably a maturity thing. I'm still, right. <laughs> I'm still immature in that. I mean, regard. you're like 21, right? <laughs> I wish. No, just oh, I wish. Um, no, I mean, one of your questions you know, and coming into this was like, how did I go from being a climber like everyone else to attempting and succeeding on these big objectives? And I think part of that is that I, I am willing to dig deeper than most people. I'm willing to try harder and put up with more discomfort than a lot of people. And I really thrive in this space where I'm pushing my mental and physical limits and you know, maybe like risking failure to find the extent of what I'm capable of. Like, I think I really, I thrive in that space. I love it. I like to say my secret climbing superpower is trying really, really freaking hard. Like I just, I won't give up. I won't let go. Um, When everyone's done for the day, I'm going to give it that one last go, or I'm going to hike down from the big multi-pitch day and go do some pull-ups in the van, you know, I'm willing to, I'm willing to put in that extra bit of effort when you're tired and hungry and you want to be done. Like I'm willing to, I'm willing to keep going. But to your point, I think that sometimes to my detriment, the shoulder injury that you mentioned on 
the honeymoon is over this summer was like, I literally tried so hard that I tore the labrum in my shoulder. Like I was so unwilling to let go that like I was willing to dig so deep in my energy reserves on that day that I I refused to let go and tore my shoulder. But you didn't let go. I didn't let go. Yeah, you sent. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, (laughs) it would have stung a lot more if I hadn't sent. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I'll fucking deal with the torn labrum later. Like that's future. This is now. This is exactly. And I think that that is another, (laughs) like I, I very much live in this, like live in this moment of now of like, this is what's important to me now. And I think that's good, but also I'm working on learning to see, trying to expand my perspective down the road of what's going to be beneficial or not to me down the road. So. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Again, I mean, I it's hard to pros and cons. Well, it's hard to, it's like hard to live in that world when you're totally, in, in the moment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's funny because I, my running joke is that I haven't really ever had any like serious use injuries because I always let go. Um, so this is just more evidence that my strategy is, <laughs> if not good, at least at least I have an idea of how it works. Because yeah, it's like right. I don't I don't blow my fingers out because I let go. It's like right, just makes sense. So, um, but that's pretty awesome. I mean, again, looking at sort of the media that has built up since you you again kind of came into everyone's consciousness. That's the running theme, honestly, and I don't. You probably know that. I mean, you've you've built it yourself in a lot of ways. Is is just keep going, you know, keep going. So, um, I mean, but I think that's super oh. authentic. Like that's right. just like that's true to who I am, and mm-hmm. I, I just, I mean, I love being in constant motion. Like, a, it literally keeps me awake at night, like thinking about everything I want to climb. So, right. <laughs> like it's a very, it comes from a very genuine place that that desire to achieve and keep pushing for bigger and better goals yeah i mean you're building a career um as as you know as a dietitian or or i mean that what exact role you're leading towards it's in that field um and then you know i think about someone like you and i don't know if you have any sponsorships at this point and um but but my but you're such this like do what I want kind of climber. It seems like, you know, you're, you're at one place and then you're at the next place and you're on the diamond and then you're in Yosemite and then you're in Indian Creek and then you're in Sedona and you know, you're trad climbing and you're sport climbing and, you know, talking to Nick Barry, which was just the last episode I put out, you know, that was really important to him. This like the freedom to always just do what I want to do. And, um, I mean, are you dabbling in, in like professional climbing as well? And, and I guess my follow-up would, question would be like why bother i mean why bother is because it allows you to (laughs) put food on the table and put gas in the van and go have fun rock climbing Mm -hmm. um so i I mean i think the why bother question is because i don't want to work a nine to five desk job right but i i still want to you know maybe have health insurance and (laughs) next time i don't let go and injure myself but I am, yeah, kind of dabbling, stepping into that world of professional climbing. Um, Camp has been a big support over the years. And they, yeah, they've they've been really good to me. And I'm 
there's something in the works. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll see what comes of that, but it's potentially an exciting both athlete and dietitian position. So oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what comes of that. Um, nothing, nothing official yet, but we'll see what comes with that. I think I'm at a point in my climbing career that I, I'm so stoked and motivated to continue pushing and see how far I can go as an athlete and what I'm capable of. I'm really excited to see, you know, what else is out there for me. So I'm pretty committed to really pursuing that for the next as many years as I can. But I have also spent the last five years becoming a registered dietitian and, you know, being a full-time student and intern. So also excited to kind of slowly build the dietitian career in conjunction with the athlete career. And it's, it's actually really exciting to kind of see these two things coming together, both the nutrition side and the climbing side. And like looking at being able to work with climbers or with teams of climbers in that role as a dietitian, because I have such a good understanding of both the demands of climbing on the athletes, but also the nutrition to complement that. I think that kind of puts me in a unique niche. Um, I'm really excited to start moving forward with that from here. Well, that, that's cool that they're, they're combined. And, and I guess the reason I asked why bother, because I, I just know a lot of people who have, ha- have found these ways in which to have a professional life and then, and have a full on like powerful climbing career, um, right. that then also comes with health insurance and, and a place to live, <laughs> you know? Um, so I yeah. mean, there's, there's, there's ways to do it. And I just think again, of like the amount of freedom you have and, and, you know, modern sponsorships don't necessarily infringe on that, but it's, right. it's always been a worry. And I definitely talked to some even modern sponsored climbers who, who have this feeling that, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they don't always get to choose partners. Yeah. They don't always get to choose where they go. And I was just wondering if that was a concern for you to keep this, like my goals, my freedom kind of thing. I mean, you also are married, which I'm sure has something to do with choosing different goals and freedoms it always does but um but yeah is that something in your mind as you're as you're sort of negotiating how these positions are going to work it it definitely is um but i think you're i think you're right that modern sponsorship i think kind of allows that freedom Mm -hmm. still i i guess i'm not willing to sign on to working with a brand if i feel like the way i interact with the world is going to be compromised. Like Mm -hmm. I I feel like I'm pretty clear in talking with brands of like, you know, these, these are the goals and the way that I approach climbing and approach social media. And like, this is, this is true to who I am. And like, I, I'm not going to compromise on being authentic to myself and the way that I interact with the world and with people you know, and if we align on that and you, you're okay with the way that I'm approaching and interacting with climbing in the world, then like, that's awesome. We're on the same page and like, I'm, I'm going to be a good representative of any brand. Like I'm going to be a positive influence at the crag and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a, a positive brand representation, but I'm also not willing to compromise or change how I go about things. Right. So. So I, I have a question then going back to kind of the beginning here, the, the, um, you know, this 10 years is in the gymnastics world. Um, I, I would go as far as to say that use the word cloistered, you know, in this, this community, you know, that 
you know, it's the, it's, it's super tight. You know, you have these other girls that you're, you're on teams with and, um, you know, obviously have intimate friendships with that. Let me ask you a little bit about, you know, transitioning to the climbing community. You know, what, what have you seen sort of coming from that world to this other world? And, um, clearly community is important to you because, you know, one of the other things that's kind of fascinating is like all these different people that you, you sort of climb with, um, you know, aside from Connor, um, what does the community mean to you as far as climbing and, and how did like your attitudes thinking back to gymnastics versus like the people you live in or the world you live in now as a climber? I think the yeah, the word cloistered is a good representation of your world as a gymnast. Like it, it's such a small bubble. And I think moving into the climbing world or the climbing community, I've definitely had to expand my, my sense of community and the circle around me. Um, I'm fairly introverted, like talking for an hour and a half like this is not a natural thing for me. Um, I don't feel it's not like life giving to me to go to a party and, you know, hang out with a bunch of people and make small talk with random people all the time. Like that's not a life giving thing for me, but I do really value the partnerships and the relationships that you build in climbing. I think climbing a big wall or, you know, having these, these big objectives is a really intense experience and it, it does form a bond with whoever you're doing that with. And I feel, I feel really loyal. You know, you, you go up on the climb up on El Cap with someone and like, I'm going to take care of that person as well as I'm going to take care of myself. I feel so loyal, like to the team, like your health matters to me as much as mine does at that point. So I think it, climbing facilitates that like really unique depth of partnership that maybe other sports don't necessarily do. And I think it's been really beneficial for me. Like, yeah, I got into climbing, climbing with Connor pretty much exclusively. Like he taught me everything I knew initially. Um, and we still climb together a lot and he's my number one supporter. And I absolutely wouldn't be where I'm at in climbing or life without him. Exceedingly grateful for his support, but I've also learned a ton in climbing with Brent and Tyler and Josh Wharton. And, you know, like you just learn so much from these other perspectives and from people who have so much more experience than I do. So I really value those opportunities. And I, I think I seek out, you know, I'm willing to reach out to someone far more experienced than I am and say like, look, I'll bring the try hard and the motivation and the psych like I'd love to link up for an objective and learn from you. And so I think that's been a really cool thing in the past couple of years has just been, yeah, these, these kind of partnerships that have formed with various people in the community. Yeah. I like how you mentioned that, that relationship thing on, on sort of a big wall, especially these multi-day things or even something like you did with Brent that like, you know, just tears you, tears you way, way down. It, I, I mean, it's, it's something that we sort of take for granted is as sort of wall climbers or even just, just everyday climbers, you know, this idea that you literally are, have the person's, you know, life and death in your hands. Like no, yeah. no, like, you know, it's not a metaphor. It's literal. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've always like thought like, oh, there's like thesis papers, doctorates to be written about 
the dynamics of that and how fascinating is it is you know and and there has been novels i mean not novels there has been you know books written about it the himalayas all those those guys and and women who you know climb there and form these bonds and relationships so it's it's pretty fascinating and to have this kind of realization you do sometimes on a wall with somebody you know as it gets dark and you're just sitting in your portal edge like <laughs> it's pretty intense you know this relationship yeah. you can have for you know good good warm fuzzies and also for for sort of anger and jealousy and frustration and all these sorts of things that you can go right. through on a wall and still arrive at the top friends and close and supporting each other but there's yeah, definitely moments I, you're like what the fuck is he doing up there like <laughs> i think know, i think like, like part of a successful big wall experience is being able to manage those highs and lows for both you and your partner you know like you have to be willing to sit in that process of you know one minute you feel on top of the world because you just flashed a crux pitch and then the next moment you fall and everything hurts and your skin is shredded and you've never been this cold you've never you're been sure high. of it you, you're yeah. sure that this is the <laughs> coldest you've ever been you don't think you are gonna send be able to send the pitch and um you know you just oscillate between these like really magnified highs and lows and like being able to kind of ride that out for both you and your partner is really important. And I think it like learning to navigate that process has probably made me a better person in general, like both on and off the wall. So I think there's a lot of life lessons to be learned in big wall climbing. Do you th think about, you know, your role as a woman climber is, is your gender an important thing to you as far as your impact you know, I ask that because, you know, obviously it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, a fact that that's, you know, you identify as a woman and you're a climber, but for some women climbers, that's very important. The role right. they have as a woman climber, other women climbers, you know, they just want to be a climber um, right. first. And then, you know, whatever impact that has maybe is residual. Um, yeah. how, how do you look at it? Is, is, is that role as, as I think not just, I mean, not just one of the best women big wall climbers out there you're you're one of the best period gender either and and you know the thing is is that i i am certain that your limits are have not been met and so we're just going to see more um but yeah where where is your thinking on that probably more toward the second of what you said um and maybe that's ignorant on my part honestly i don't think i put that much weight on it um and maybe I should, and maybe people will be upset that I don't. And maybe but... you will. You're, you've got a <laughs> hopefully long climbing career to yeah. reflect back on those things. So I guess in my experience, I've never felt looked down upon as a woman in the sport. And maybe that's because I'm oblivious to it, or I just don't pay attention. But I think I try to carry myself with composure and confidence and not like allow myself to feel belittled for my gender whether it's happening or not, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'll just like flex on them if someone <laughs> looks down on me for that. This but, is a uh, podcast and you didn't see it, but she <laughs> did just flex. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I see uh, my role regarding women in the sport more from the perspective of nutrition, um, encouraging women and men to approach food and body weight and fueling with a more positive perspective, embracing the body you've got and not constantly comparing it to other people or how you think you're supposed to look as a climber. So I guess I see that more as my role as a 
female in the sport. I just kind of asked you a question about sort of being a role model. Were there early role models within climbing for you? Again, I think just because I, I mean, I wasn't really like steeped in the history and tradition of climbing early on. I didn't have these like major role models taking off in the sport, I guess. A couple people though, I definitely look up to. I mean, obviously, how, like how can you not look up to Tommy and Alex and what those guys are doing and pushing in the sport and I think Mason Earl is, I really respect and look up to him and the things that he did and the way he approached climbing, um, especially, you know, with the perspective now of where he's at, his whole story just like really resonated with me of what he's gone through. So I always try to repeat the Mason Earl routes where I go. And then probably Babsy actually met her funny story like met her in Yosemite the first time we were ever in Yosemite in 2019 we were only there for like three weeks maybe it was way too hot already I don't know it was an exploratory trip I guess and Connor and I had gone up on father time just kind of for kicks like to go camp on the wall and there's really like no reasonable expectation that I would be able to actually send father time at that point but anyway we we're up on the wall and at the Bibby Ledge up there, and Babsy and Yokopo had started up like the day after us because they their project on El Cap was too wet, so they'd come over to Father Time instead on Middle Cathedral. And they got up there, and they'd only packed for, like two days of food or something, and we'd packed you know packed and hauled way too much stuff, and they were going to need a third day of food and water to be able to send it. And, you know, Connor and I were like, we have no hope, like we're going down. So we ended up leaving them our third day of food and water for them. And uh, I don't know, ever since then, I've, I've felt a special connection to Babsy. And I think uh, what she's done and pushed in the sport is, I mean, it's incredible. Like she's obviously one of the best female climbers out there. So can always aspire to be like Babsy. <laughs> have you hung out with her since? No, I haven't, but someday. <laughs> someday. For sure. You guys should climb together. Um, That'd be I hope, awesome. I hope they remember that, your minor contribution to the, actually major <laughs> contribution to their set. So. Uh, if not, it's okay. So, you know, it's it's interesting. You mentioned earlier in the, I, I always say it's interesting. It's like my little catch. Um, anyway, you mentioned, <laughs> I'm now like super conscious of it because I got an email <laughs> about it. Um <laughs> Someone called you out, huh? Motherfuckers. No. Yeah, I get called out a lot. Um, anyway. That's um, fair. You, hey. Um, <laughs> what, you got a complaint you want to make? Um, the the Earlier in the podcast, I mean, we talked about you, both Connor and you, losing your religion, you know, to put it frankly, and which is, is fascinating because I, I've talked to climbers uh, other climbers, especially climbers from Utah, <clears throat> that, you know, either was already thinking about it or climbing itself kind of like perpetrated this this sort of questioning, um, partially the act of it and the inner workings of the person's mind, but also, you know, the community around them sort of making them question kind of these these this dogma that they'd been taught as a kid. It sounds like it happened before. Uh, you know, you you embarked in that van. Um, but, you know, to, to ask you sort of a, 
a question um, that maybe is unanswerable, so I may throw it out. But, uh, you know, has there been anything in the last five years or however long it's been since you guys sort of moved away from that that has has sort of replaced that part of your life? Um, whatever needs you were met from from those beliefs or from that that structure is a lot of times what it comes from. Like, have you thought about that at all um, as far as a replacement for those kind of feelings and needs that you maybe you've found in the last few years? I mean, I think a lot of uh, people are obviously like someone's going to not like me for saying this, but like a big piece of religion is, like you said, giving structure and giving a reasoning for things happening. You know, like you hear all the time, like it's in God's hands or, you know, it's all everything or like God, God's got a purpose for it or whatever. And like, I don't know if that's always true. Like, I don't, like, there's not always, a, you know, a greater purpose for the bad things that happen to people. And a lot of religion is just to give that sense of purpose to people. And I'm not in any way bashing on that because I think it, like, I look at people around me who that does give a really strong sense of purpose and that's really meaningful to them. And that's awesome. Like, I want that for, I want everyone to have that. I want everyone to have something that gives them purpose and a reason to get up in the morning and something that gets them fired up. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people that, you know, stay with religion is because they've had a really compelling experience of, you know, the like come to Jesus moment. And I don't think I've had that. And that's, you know, maybe why it's not as, I don't feel as compelled to the religious perspective anymore. But I do feel that passionate about, it sounds silly, but about climbing. And it's not just the climbs itself, but it's like the the process that you go through in pursuing these big objectives and learning how to, you know, like work on the different aspects of being a good person that I think kind of like what I said about big wall climbing, there's a lot to be learned about life in a big wall climb. And I think I, think I do find purpose in climbing because of those kind of bigger applications to life. But I guess to answer your question, climbing to some degree, the relationships and the community around climbing have kind of filled that space for me. And I think I try to be a positive presence at the crag or wherever I'm at, you know, like I try to be an encouraging and uplifting presence to those around me. And I think that's a piece of religion too, is like, it's that, you know, it speaks to the, your character, like, are you, you know, you're drawn, the type of person you want to be comes from maybe a religious perspective. And I think you can, you can be a good person without being a religious person and you can be kind to people and generous and hospitable. Like I still strive to be that kind of person, even though I'm not necessarily identifying as like a Christian that I would have, you know, many years ago. So I don't know. That was a long way around the answer to that. It was a super tough question. <laughs> I, I, I but, just like swung it in like a, like a freaking battle axe. <laughs> yeah, that was a so, tough one. I'll just add this and maybe you can add something. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel that climbing, you know, aside from its, you know, supposed selfishness and uselessness and all these things that climbers themselves banter around, um, it seems to give us a lot of opportunity to, to be good people. 
I think uh, it does. Uh, in a, I think in it an really everyday does. way, just in an everyday way. Yeah. And or be heroic if you're presented with situations that call for it. I think it does. And I think, again, maybe the climbs themselves don't really mean anything. But I think the experiences that people have on those climbs and the objectives, I think those experiences mean something. And I think if you can help facilitate an uplifting, empowering experience for someone, like that's hugely rewarding to me. If I can encourage someone to go try a goal that they've been looking at for a long time and like be a supportive, encouraging voice in that process. Like that's hugely rewarding and the climb itself doesn't matter, but empowering that person matters. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Amity for sitting down. And how about me coming hard for her religion on a climbing podcast? What an asshole. Anyway, she put up with it. Good sport, Amity. She's probably like, I'm never doing that podcast again. All right, happy holidays, happy Christmas, happy Festivus, happy Saturnalia, happy Hanukkah. I'm overdoing the ch, aren't I? Thanks for being here for 11 years. It's you guys that made this happen. Be careful out there, and this is the best time of year to check those psychological mental health knots out there in your friends, in the climbing community, and beyond. So yeah, check it. Check the knots. Do it now. It's dark out. You have time on your hands. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum.